I just want to say thank you. Uh, last week in my newsletter, and I know from the pulpit, Robbie has asked, and Tori has asked, and Johnny has asked, and we have asked people to come on Wednesday nights and help out with Awana and with our youth group. And let me just say thank you to those who have responded. I've been working with the Sparks. These are five and six-year-olds, and they're, I mean, they're fun to be around. I was going to say they're miserable because I tell you what, it, it, it is crazy in there. There's 24 of them and like five or six of us. And it's been, cra- it's been really miserable, to be honest with you. But no, it's been fun. Um, and last week, just to, to give you an FYI, I think we had one-to-one ratio, almost one-to-one ratio. So you answered the call and you came and helped. And thank you. Yes, give yourself a hand. Not only have you come to the rescue in Awana, and thank you very much those of you who have answered that call, but also in our youth, we have uh, several people that are now helping with the youth group, and they are meeting, they're growing to in such a point they outgrew their room. So they're meeting in here on Wednesday nights and able to break up into different groups, and so it's been an awesome time. Thank you for helping out. As a matter of fact, we've been having to run one bus, and our bus will seat uh, 15 people, and now we have to have two buses. And so God is blessing what is happening here at Hollybrook Baptist Church, and it's because of you. And so I want to say thank you on behalf of Tori and Johnny and myself and uh, all of our Awana workers. Thank you very much for all that you do. So if you have your Bible, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2 this morning. We're talking about the one another's in the Bible. And I thought uh, the best way to start off this morning is to consult the greatest theologian that has ever lived. His name is Dr. Seuss. Y'all know Dr. Seuss? Dr. Seuss wrote a story about a character named Zode. Let me read it to you. Did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to two signs at the fork in the road? One said to place one and the other place two, so the Zode had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants, and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, now that may be hot, so how will I know if I will like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'd be sort of a fool if I go to place two and find it too cool. On the other hand, though, if place one is too high, I might get a terrible earache and die. On the other hand, though, what might happen to me? Which way should I go? Oh, please help me see. If place two is too low, just everyone knows a person could get a strange pain in his toe. On the other hand, though, on the other hand, though, on the other hand, other hand, other hand, though, For 36 hours and one half, the Zode made starts and stops in the path. Don't take a chance. You might not be right. Then he got an ideal that was wonderfully bright. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start start out for both places at once. He started and he stopped. He stopped and he started. He would not choose. All his courage departed. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, got no place at all with a split in his pants. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. You know, as I was reading and preparing for today, I think the story of Zode speaks to a lot of Christians, does it not? There are a lot of believers, and uh, 
people that are in church every Sunday, to be quite honest with you. They're very much like Zod. They want to keep one foot on one road and one foot on the other road, and all we end up doing is splitting our pants, so to speak. Uh, there are people that are here this morning that you come and you say, well, you know what, I'll give God a chance. Things are going on in my life, and, and I'll give a God a chance. But if God doesn't do what I think God should do, if he doesn't act the way that I think he should act, if life doesn't go the way that I think life should go, you know what, I'm going to go down the other road, forget God, and I'm going to go this way instead of that way. And unfortunately, it's not, we, when I think, or most of the time when I think of that, I think it's unbelievers. These unbelievers, they'll come, I'll give God a chance. I'll go to church for a few times and see if it works out for me. But let me tell you, we as believers, Christians, do the exact same thing. We try to walk two roads. And here this morning, as we come to Acts chapter 2, and we're talking about the one another's in Scripture. We've talked about the one another of being unity in unity. We've talked about the one another's of being hospitable. And today we come to devotion. Now, when you come to that word devotion, there's a lot of words that may come to mind or a lot of thoughts that come to mind. To me, when I talk about the one another's and in particularly devotion, I see here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I see four things that the Bible tells us that we are to be devoted to. Number one, we are to be devoted to one another. We are to be devoted to God. We are to be devoted to Scripture. And we are to be devoted to prayer. Look in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And here in this one verse, we see where we should be devoted to God, to others, to scripture, and to prayer. And when you talk about being devoted, what does that mean? What does it look like? And what do you think of when you hear that word devotion? I know for a lot of us, when we hear that word devotion, here's what we think about. Well, I have my quiet time, right? And that's what we think about when we, have a, uh, when we talk about that word devotion, especially as a Christian. When you say, well, I'm going to have a devotion or I'm devoted, I'm going to do something that is going to make me closer to God, i.e., I'm going to read my Bible. Or if you're like me, you may get a few emails from uh, your favorite preachers that send you a, a daily devotional. Or how about how many of you have my utmost for his highest and we open up every day and we read morning and evening and we have these devotions. But is that really what God is talking about? Is that what scripture is talking about when we talk about this word devotion? Is it just a quiet time? Is it just a time of Bible study and prayer? I would say no. When we talk about biblical devotion, it is so much more than what we might typically think. And we can go all the way back to the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 27, we see in verse 21 that you can devote any number of things, even objects, to God. It says, but the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted, the priest shall be in possession of it. 
And you go, well, what, what's the big deal here? Well, the priests, the Levites, they didn't, when they go into the promised land, they don't inherit any land. And so the people devote things, objects, in this case, a field for the use of the priest. It was an important part of it. And then if you jump down to verse 28, you can basically devote anything to God. In verse 28, it says, but no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast or his inherited field shall be sowed or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. You see what it says? I can devote my children to the Lord. I can devote my land to the Lord. I can devote my time to the Lord. I can devote almost anything to the Lord. And do you see what it says? When it is devoted... To the Lord, it becomes a holy thing. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? When they devoted something to God, it became holy to the Lord. In Numbers chapter 18, verse 14, Aaron was told that everything in Israel that is devoted to the Lord belongs to the Levites in place of their inheritance of land. So we find this phrase, devoted things, 18 times in the Old Testament. And we see that almost anything can be devoted. It means that we can devote our time. We can devote our money. We can devote our, our, uh, our abilities. We can devote our anything to God. And when we devote it to him, it becomes holy unto him. So we are to be devoted to God. The word devoted is the Greek word philostrogos. Philostrogos. Now, last week we talked about a different word that started with philo, you remember? Now, philostrogos is an interesting word because it means tenderly affectionate with one another in brotherly love. And it's only found in a few places. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now that's in the NIV version, the New International Version. My preferred version is the English Standard Version, and you can see that right underneath. It reads a little differently. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I believe the NIV got it right in this case. There's nothing wrong with the translation that the English Standard Version does. What it does is it helps remind us that there is a commonality between all of the one another's. And that commonality, that thread that leaks them all together, that thread that makes the one another's in Scripture different than the things that, you know, the world tells us to be kind. I see T-shirts all the time, be kind, you know. Uh, the, the thing that separates Scripture through what the world tells us to do is this love and how important it is. And when we love one another and when we are devoted to one another, let me tell you, there are some awesome things that can go on with that. So we must understand how important love is when we talk about these one another statements. And last week we looked at that word philoxenia. Philoxenia means to love a stranger. Philostorgos means to love family. Do you see how that works? We are to be, have unity. We are to love strangers by hospitality. And now we are to love one another uh, with the devotion to one another. We are to love each other. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to love. You listen, it's a miserable place. I know because I have been there. It's a miserable place when you walk into the church and you see somebody, oh, I don't want to see him or her. Oh, I can't stand them. Oh, get them away. 
I, I have been that way, not in this church, in a different church. I make that clear, right? Not here. Although some of you, no, I'm just playing. This is a place where we are to be devoted, we are to love, we are to have affection for one another. And you know what? What does Jesus say? When we have affection, when we show love to one another, guess what? The world around us will see that love as well. They will go, what's different about them? What's going on over there? They love each other. They are affectionate. They care for one another. They're devoted to one another. And guess what? The world wants in on that. See, we live in a world where most people are hurting. Most people are in pain. There are things in life that we just sometimes can't explain, and they have to walk through it on their own. But when they see us love one another through those times of hurt and pain, they go, what's different? I want, I want that. I want to be a part of that. And thank God that we are doing that here at Hollybrook Baptist Church. So while hospitality deals with loving strangers, being devoted deals with loving other believers. And let's just look in Romans chapter 12 in context. Now, if you know anything about Romans, it's the greatest theological tree, uh, 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 ever written. And in Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight, Paul gives us this list of spiritual gifts. And these are a wonderful thing for the church. And he says, listen, after he gives us this list of spiritual gifts, look what he writes in verse 9. Let love be genuine. You should underline that. It's important that we let our love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love or be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, the more I study the New Testament and the more I study these one another's, the more I understand how important agape love is. Agape love is the kind of love that we always have the other person's best intentions for that love. Listen, we don't love because we're going to get something back with agape love. We love because it is for you and you alone. We do it because we want to lift you up. We want to honor you. That's what agape love is. Agape love is what Jesus did for us. You think about what Jesus did for mankind. He agape loved us so much that he said, Father, this, these people that have disobeyed you, that have sinned against you, I will go down. I will be their sacrifice. I will stand in their place. I will take their punishment. There was, that is agape love. Listen, what did, what did Jesus get in return? He got pain and suffering and whips and nails. And what do we get? We get eternal life when we trust in Jesus and him alone. See, Paul goes for, in, in verses three for, through eight, he says, listen, if you have the gift of giving, then give generously. If you have the gift of leadership, then lead well with zealous. He says, if you have the gift of, uh, of uh, whatever, <laughs> I forgot him. How about that? But he says, do it right. 
and do it with zeal and do it with all of your heart. And then in verse 9, after he tells us that we should be doing these with our, the best of our ability, in verse 9 he says love should be genuine. That word genuine means non-hypocritical. He says don't let your love be hypocritical. And I wonder how many of us practice that on a regular basis, that that non-hypocritical love, you know, you meet someone and you're very, you're very courteous and kind and you shake their hand and you're polite. Oh, it's good to see you. And then when they walk away in your mind, you're going, I can't stand that person. Let me, that is not genuine love. That's being a hypocrite. And he's telling us here that we should not be a hypocrite. What does a hypocrite do? They, they care more about themselves. They care more about what other people think of them, right? Let me look good for the camera. Let me look good for the crowd. What can I do to make myself look better to you? That's what a hypocrite does. But one who loves genuinely, though, listen, they humble themselves. They it, because sometimes it takes real humility to love the way that God wants us to love. And how do we, know, how do we show non-hypocritical love? By being devoted to one another. To be devoted. What does devotion look like, though? It means commitment, right? It means being there in those hard times. It means standing in the gap when things are happening in his or her lives. Uh, for some of you, to be devoted means that you need to join Hollybrook Baptist Church. You've been coming for weeks or months, and you have yet joined the church if you want to come. And devoted to a body of Christ here at Hollybrook Baptist Church. We would enjoy that. We would love that. We can be devoted to one another, as Scripture tells us. And if you're already a member of Hollybrook Baptist Church, one of the ways to be devoted is to be devoted to a Sunday school class or to a life group. Listen, I love to preach, and I believe Scripture teaches me to preach, and, and that it is right for us to gather in a worship setting like this. But you cannot do life together setting like this. We can only do life together when we are in a group together, in a small group together, like a Sunday school or a life group, when we can set across from one another, when we're sitting in a circle so that we can see one another, that we can grow spiritually with one another, where we can do life authentically with one another. That is how we become devoted to one another. Listen, you think about your husband or your wife or your your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you love so much. The only reason why you love them so much is because you spent time with them, getting to know them and understanding who they are in the best ways to be devoted to anybody, uh, to one another in particular here at Hollybrook is through life groups or for your Sunday school classes. And if you are not in a life group or a Sunday school, let me encourage you to do so. Find one. We have, we have life groups and Sunday school classes for every age group. And you can come and be committed to one another. And you know, when two people are full of love of God and committed to one another, great and powerful things happen. And if you want to see those powerful things happen, listen, come to a life group or a Sunday school class. Next, we are to be devoted to God. We're to be devoted to God. In this case, devotion means to love God by being profoundly dedicated and loyal to him alone. Does that describe your life? That you are profoundly dedicated and loyal 
to him alone. Another way to put it is that word devout. Have you heard that word devout before? When I think of that word devout, I think of Jason Chisholm. You know, Jason, our worship leader, he is a devout follower of the Baylor Bears. He, uh, he, you go into his office, he has everything Baylor that I think they sell. He probably has it in his office. He watches every game, and I don't care if it's football or baseball, or he watches all of the games. He knows what's going on in the news. He's probably got something green on today. I mean, he is devoted to the Baylor Bears. And what the scripture teaches us is that we are to be devoted to God in that same way that Jason is devoted to the Baylor Bears, that he is a follower. We are to be a follower. We are to be loyal to him and him alone. God wants us to love him the same way that we love our favorite team. The Bible teaches that we should be devout followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The chief commitment for every believer is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Jesus said this is the first and greatest commandment. And when we don't love Jesus with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, we are breaking the first and greatest commandment. And I wonder how many of us in here have done that. That we say that we're devoted to God and yet our child's football game comes before God. We say that we're devoted to God and yet something on the television comes before God. We say that we're devoted to Lord Jesus Christ, but when we know that we have an opportunity to witness to someone at the restaurant, we close our mind and our eyes and turn around so that we don't have to go there. Are we really devoted to him and him alone? Are we really devoted to Jesus Christ? And if you don't follow Jesus heartily, you are devoting yourself to something else. Did you know that? And when you devote yourself to something else, what that literally means is that you're rejecting him. Listen, you remember what Jesus told his disciples? He tells his disciples in Luke 9, he says, if, you, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take daily. Daily. You know what it means to take up your cross back when Jesus said this? It means you must be willing to die to yourself and live for me. That's what he's telling us. That we must be, listen, whatever is happening in our life, whatever your child's stuff is, Jesus has to be more important. Whatever your mother or your father's stuff is, Jesus has to be more important. Whatever's going on in your job or in your career or at school, Jesus has to be more important. You cannot love Jesus wholeheartedly and love other things and put them in front of him. It's physically, it's mentally, it's emotionally, and it's spiritually impossible. And he tells us to love him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. The true follower of Christ is devout because he or she commits every part of their life to Jesus. Are you there? Have you committed every single part of your life to Jesus? See, we don't, we don't commit, we don't uh, become devoted as an obligation we don't do it to earn salvation. We don't do it to, to get God's favor. 
We give everything to God because he gave everything to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were devout, weren't they? They were religious. They were pious, at least outwardly. Remember what Jesus said? You're just like a whitewashed tomb because you're dead on the inside. Oh, you're pretty on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And I wonder how many followers of Jesus that we have in this room that are very much like that whitewashed tomb, that on the outside, everybody sees us. Oh, we say the right things, we do the right things, we shake the right hands, we give the right amount of money, and yet we're dead on the inside. See, if we're going to be devoted to Jesus, it means that he is head of everything. We have to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And let me tell you, when we are those whitewashed tombs out in the community, I can't tell you how many times I have tried to witness to someone or try to invite someone to church, and they say, oh, I'm not going to go there because of all the hypocrites. Have you heard that? And listen, it's an excuse that I can overcome. I can assure you of that. But they shouldn't have that excuse even in the first place because we're not living the way we do on Sunday as we do on Monday through Friday or Saturday because they see us. Those of us who don't have genuine love. Oh, what would happen to our community? If we were a people of genuine love, So God wants devout followers that don't put anything before him, that he is number one, he is preeminent, he is above. Nothing comes between you and him. And likewise, we cannot claim to follow Jesus and live in the way that appeases the world. See, it's like Ozod, right? That's what happens for a lot of believers. We, we, we want to... To, to live for Jesus, but at the same time, I don't want to offend the world, so you know what we do is we try to put both legs on, on uh, put legs on both roads, and all we do is split our pants. And that's not the way to live either. We are to live not to appease the world, not because the world says that we have to do this or to do that. We live in focus of who Jesus is and him alone. So when we are devoted to God, it naturally leads to our devotion to his word. How devoted are you to God's word? Is it an important part of your life? See, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the primary source of strengthening that relationship, you know where it's found? Right here. It's in his word. And if we want to know Jesus, if we want to have a singular devotion to Jesus, he, he is most visible in the utterances of his word. This is his word. He has given it to us. And in everything that it speaks of, it is true. There is no falsehoods. And if we want to know Jesus, if we want to be devoted to him and him alone, what better place can we go than his word? This is where we need to spend our time. I love Psalm uh, Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, there are 176 verses. And in those 176 verses, it talks about the love of the word of God. Now, most people think David wrote this. We're really not sure, but I'm going to go with David. 
King David had a love for God's word. And for 176 verses, he said how much he loved God's word. Let me just read the first eight verses to you. It says, blessed are those who whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Nine times in eight verses, it talks about love for scripture. Do you see them there? It talks about how important God's words are to us. And look how he, look how he, he begins this whole section with that word blessed. You know what that word blessed means? It means happy. Happy are those who put an importance on God's word. Happy are those who uh, keep and obey God's word. When we actively are actively obedient to the word of God, proactively keeping it and pursuing God with all of our heart, guess what? The psalmist says we'll find happiness. Now, happiness and joy are two different things. See, we can have joy even in the midst of the most horrible situation you can think of, not because of the horrible situation, but because we know that we have a redeemer, we have a sovereign God that can handle it. But we can be happy when we're in the word of God learning about our Jesus, building a devoted relationship with him. But we also find a purpose of scripture here. A devoted lover of the Bible seeks to understand what the purpose of the Bible is. If I ask you to write down in one sentence the purpose of the Bible, what would you write? Can I tell you, most of us would write the wrong thing. The purpose of the Bible is to, for God to reveal himself to mankind. That's the purpose of the Bible. Theologically speaking, it is the self-revelation of God. That's what the purpose of the Bible is. It's not to tell you how much God loves you, but it does that. It's not to tell you all the rights and wrongs and the do's and don'ts, but it does that. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to us. Oh, thank God for the purpose of Scripture. Uh, from Genesis chapter 11 to Revelation chapter 2, the Bible, one thing, redemption. God, he created, we sinned, we fell. God brought the flood, and from that moment on to Revelation chapter 22, it's all about redeeming mankind. That's how he reveals himself to us. He did it even in the Old Testament, saying there will be a Messiah. And then when the Messiah came, his name is Jesus Christ. And you go, well, what is a Messiah? A Messiah is an anointed one. That's what the word Messiah means. And what is he anointed to do? He is anointed to be the sacrifice for my sin and yours. And you go, well, why do we need a sacrifice because of sin? The Bible 
and it's revealing God and his character to us, in it we discover that we are sinful. When we look at the Bible, when it reveals God and how he is light and he is holy and he is just and he is righteous and he is set apart from everything else, and when we look at the Bible and we see how it reveals God, we understand how small and insignificant and sinful we are. And we understand that. We understand that we need a holy God who can bridge the gap between sinful man and holy God, and his name is Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in Jesus and him alone? Listen, if you don't, if you don't, The only thing that you'll experience after your death is eternal suffering in hell. Put your faith in Jesus. So the Bible is there. It is to give us the character of God, to reveal God to ourselves. He reveals how sinful we are and that we need a Savior. It also reveals us, the Bible says, that it is God-breathed, that he is the one that actually wrote the Bible, even though he used human beings to do so. And as we, the Bible is there for, for correcting and teaching and training us in righteousness so that we can be prepared for every good work. Do you love, are you devoted to scripture? And as we become more devout in our relationship with Jesus and we are become more devout, devoted to his word and to other people, guess what? It, the Bible teaches us that we should be devoted to prayer. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on prayer because we just talked about a lot of prayer in the last few weeks. But with that said, I believe the most important ministry any of us have in this room is prayer. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe the most important ministry you have is prayer. Someone once said, when you sing, you get what singing can do. When you preach, you get what preaching can do. And when you teach, you get what teaching to do. But when you pray, you get what God can do. Isn't that awesome? Five times we see the Greek word proskaterio which can be translated devoted or faithful or constant. And every time we see this word, it's related to prayer in Acts chapter 114 and Acts 242 and Acts 614 or 64 in Romans 12, 12 and in Colossians 4.2. So we could say, New Testamently speaking, we as believers should be devoted to prayer. And let me tell you, devotion to prayer is not, okay, now lay me down to sleep, and it's, you say your prayer before med bedtime. Uh, devotion to prayer is not gathering around the, the kitchen table and holding hands and, and asking a blessing over the meal. That is not being devoted to prayer. Being devoted to prayer is not driving through the mall parking lot and say, oh God, I hope I find a parking spot. Oh good, thank you Lord. That's not being devoted to prayer. Nor does it mean to be devoted to prayer that all we do is pray 24-7. That's all I do is pray. That is not being devoted to prayer either. And all of those things are good. We can pray for a parking spot and we can say, now I lay me down. 
the sleep. And we should and could pray before every meal. But what being devoted to prayer means that God is always on your mind, that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what is happening in your world, no matter the circumstances, instead of just saying, I guess all we can do is pray, you say, the first thing I can do is pray. That is being devoted to God in prayer. It's a pattern that looks like a devotion to prayer. And it won't be the same for everybody. Everybody's devotion to prayer may be different, but it is praying to God in any and all circumstances at times. It is being devoted to the, your uh, one another. It's being devoted to God. It's being devoted to Scripture. And we bring all of those things to him in prayer. That's what it means to be devoted in prayer. So as we talk about these one another's, and particularly devotion to one another, our devotion to scripture, our devotion to God, our devotion to prayer, none of that would take place, none of that would be, be, be able to happen if it wasn't for the cross of Jesus Christ. It is because Jesus died on the cross that we could even have devotion to God because he first showed his devotion to us. There could be no foundational love if Jesus hadn't taken upon himself your sin and mine. There's two groups of people in this room. There's one group of people I believe that's in this room that that have been believers for a long time. You've trusted in Jesus. I, you know you're a Christian. I probably know you're a Christian. You know, God certainly knows if you're a Christian. But, but you're very much like Zod. And you still try to walk two roads. You, you do follow Jesus and you do follow God and, and you come to church on a pretty regular basis and, and you read your Bible pretty regular, but there are times when the world wins. You know what I'm talking about? There are times when you say, no, I can't walk that road, God. Listen, it is too hard. That is too much. I can't handle that. So I'm gonna walk over here. It's a lot easier People won't ridicule me. People won't make fun of me. My friends at school won't laugh at me. So I, I, I know, because I've been there, there are some zodes in this room that have been Christians for a while, and you've split your pants trying to go two different directions. And then there's another group of people. This other group of people are, are people that are not believers in Jesus Christ. They haven't put their faith in Jesus and him alone. And, and you too are trying to walk two roads. You're here this morning because, hey, look, church makes me feel good. It's nice to be around people that are nice and kind to me who love one another, right? It, it's good to, to be around folks that are positive and happy and joyful. But I'm gonna go out there after this and listen, I'm gonna be walking that road of, of sin and shame and heartbreak. I'm gonna go into places I shouldn't go. I'm gonna do things I shouldn't do. I'm gonna see things I shouldn't see. You know, the Bible talks about two roads. Did you know that? 
The Bible says that there are two roads. One of those roads is very wide. And on that road are these people that are saying, I'll just go with the flow. I'll go do whatever the world says do. I'll just go and and I'll take the easy route. I'm going to go down that road. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. I don't need the church. Listen, it's nice to come every once in a while, but I am not going to be devoted. I'm not going to be wholeheartedly devoted to God because it is too hard. And so you're on this big wide road. And you know what the Bible says? It leads to a place called destruction total and complete separation of God. We call it hell. But then there's this other road. It's a little road. It's a narrow road. Listen, this road is treacherous, let me tell you. Because the world's going to throw things at you. The world's going to try to push you off this narrow road that it's on. But when you make it through that narrow road, you go to a place not of destruction, but you go to a place called heaven, which is always forever with Jesus, wherever he is. Which road are you on? Listen, don't be like Zod. Pick one road. It's the narrow road. And put your faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for your goodness, your blessings. Thank you that we can come to you in prayer, that we can just open your word, that we can come and worship in a place like this. And so, Father, I know that there are folks here that are standing at the fork in the road, Some are wanting to choose the wide road, others the narrow. And even those that have already chosen the narrow road, sometimes there's forks in that road, Father, that we uh, tend to follow the world instead of you. That we're more devoted to our family or to our fun than we are to you. So God, We just ask that your spirit would move in a way that would convict us, that would challenge us, that would encourage us, that we would be the man or the woman that you've called us to be, and that we would be devoted to you and you alone. So now as we stand and we sing, if there's anyone here that needs to come and say, Brother David, I need to be a Christian. I need to get off this wide road and to get onto the narrow road. This morning is that opportunity. Don't let this time pass. And maybe for those of us who have been believers for a long time, right where you're standing, commit, be devoted to Jesus alone. In his great name we pray. Let's stand and sing.